0: Welcome to another episode of Fortitude and Truth. My name is Andrew, and I'm here again with my beloved brother and brother-in-law, brother in Christ, I should say, and brother-in-law, Nate. Um, And today, we're going to be focusing on another one of our favorite $5 words, justification wouldn't you say so nay a uh, five dollar word
1: i would agree and <laughs> we're on a roll here with sanctification glorification justification see how many we can put in a row
0: absolutely well as we kick it off first we're gonna I, we're gonna do our focus verse actually it's two verses today again stretching the rules a little bit all around but today our focus verse or verses is romans 5 verses 18 and 19 the bible says in romans 5 verses 18 and 19 so then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Now, how this show is going to kind of flow today, I know we we're talking about justification. Uh, ironically enough, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about sanctification and glorification, well, today we're going to be talking about like what is justification, how does it relate to sanctification and glorification, and then kind of talking about its inclusion within this series. Um, and without further ado, we're going to kick it off. Nate, um, what is justification?
1: Justification. So we're going to give you a definition based on, we've been kind of using Millard Erickson's Christian theology as a baseline. I think it's a good place to start. Even if I don't wholly agree with all his thoughts here, he does give some good basic Definitions, and I think I would agree. Um, even if they're not wholly correct, I think they're worth the discussion. Um, but it's just as a good starting point. So he states, justification is God's action pronouncing sinners righteous in His sight. Um, he actually goes further to say he's in his discussion on forensic righteousness, forensic righteousness, which is if you know what forensics is, talk about legal, legal, like a legal standing. It is, yep. <clears throat> The justification is a restoration of the individual to a state of righteousness uh, for a forensic or a judicial context. And so this is, it really starts in the Old Testament. We see it kind of all work its way out through into the New Testament, but I kind of want to start in the Old Testament. We look at Psalms chapter 9, verse 4, to know that, first of all, God is God is the judge. So he gets to decide what is just and what is unjust, because he is perfectly just. And anything that is not him is and does not align with him is unjust. <clears throat> and so Psalms 9, 4 says, For you have maintained my just cause, for you have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. And we know too, if we talk about the creeds, that not only this speaks of God kind of as a triune God, but we, we affirm in the Nicene and the the Apostles' Creed that he, that it is Christ who sits at the right hand of God the Father From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And so there's only one who justifies, and there's only one reason for justification. And that's, I think, the interesting part of justification, is kind of like salvation, and maybe we'll, I think maybe this is the good place to talk about this, is we've talked about sanctification, we've talked about glorification, but the moment of justification If you want to call it a moment Or the moment of salvation That initial moment Even though it's kind of instantaneous um, And then We'll talk about how it gets fulfilled At the end of all things But even though it's kind of instantaneous For the moment um, What we see is that Over and over again Scripture testifies to And I think we can testify in our own lives That you should never really leave That moment of salvation Never like that's why I think the Lord's Supper is so important. And actually, the last time I, I officiated communion, we talked about that, <laughs> is that that importance of not getting past what Christ has done and what it means that Christ has done. Because really, the moment you separate your sanctification from your salvation, then it just becomes works-based salvation, in all honesty. That's kind of what it seems to turn into. Um, but that's not really the entirety of it. Like, if we move on past that. And th- there's, again, this... this double um, sense of justification. So there's the one, on the one sense, you have been justified. Once you're saved, you are justified, right? You're viewed as not guilty before the Father. But really, that's realized at the judgment seat of Christ. Like, before, before you're glorified at the end of all things in Revelations, there's this idea, and some people disagree on how we're judged at the end of times. Are we judged based on our Christian works and That's how we're judged is what our reward is in heaven or are we actually judged according to our sins and then then it turns into, oh, well, you've been justified because his blood paid for everything. And, And I think both have biblical merit in some sense, but I prefer one over the other. But there is one that is above all when it comes to justification as my computer just decides to freeze on that uh but if we go to romans 4 and paul talks a lot about justification obviously throughout all of his works so that that's that in itself is interesting uh but especially to the romans like paul gets very deep theologically um probably most of theological works and we're gonna look at verses uh four one through five We talk, And this is kind of quoting um, Genesis when we talk about Abraham. We talk about faith, justified by faith versus justified by works. Because if we were justified by works, it means one thing. If we're justified by faith, it means another. And we'll see that here. Uh, In Romans 4, he says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And I'll actually go a step further here in verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous apart from works, blessed are those who whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. I think that's a pretty uh, tall order there, wouldn't you say, Andrew?
0: I I would agree. That is a very tall order.
1: But the interesting thing, when we talk about justification, though, is just because we're justified, what's, what's next for us? Right, It's not just, you're justified, that's it. Again, it's kind of the same thing with salvation we talked about, and then we talked about the purpose of sanctification and what goes on in sanctification. And that's like, it's the next step, but it's not the next step. It's all kind of combined.
0: It's a continuation, like, yeah.
1: And Erickson, I think Erickson says it best. He says, yet the biblical witness also indicates that while it is faith that leads to justification, justification must and will invariably produce works appropriate to the nature of, of the new creature that has come into being. Is that fair? Are
0: you asking me? Yeah, I think that's fair.
1: Uh, well, I'm not asking the listeners because they can't respond in, in <laughs> no, due <do> kind.
0: I know. <laughs> I, I think that's fair. And I think, to your point, I think that's kind of what James gets to in the book of James, um, <clears throat> talking about faith and works. And he uses Abraham as a, an example. I think you look at, sorry, just to illustrate your point, you look, Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, yes. And then he offered up Isaac, but first he believed. Right, he believed God, he trusted God, um, and then the, to the extent, and as his relationship with God grew, it only deepened to the point where he literally, he just, whatever the Lord's doing here, he's going to give me Isaac back, he promised me Isaac. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just kind of, just to add to what you were saying, I think that's a very
1: yeah. fair point. No, I, it's, it's in, to Paul's point in Romans 4, is the same thing as he says kind of in Ephesians. Uh, everybody knows Ephesians 2 verse 8, most people do, but... I, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It was a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yeah. And any boasting we have is is in God. We are God's handy. Amen. Verse 10 even goes further to say, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. So when it comes to justification, it's not just a, it's a one-time thing, but it's not just a one-time thing, right? It's, again, not something we just hang our hat on. Like, oh, I'm saved, and then that's it right and then there's i think finally too when we look at defining terms of justification like there's still this issue of sin because it's it's hard to it's hard to i think deal with um you know you'd love to think we're saved and we can be rid of this fleshly body at some point we will be but not uh, probably on this earth and so how do we rectify being justified yet having to ask for forgiveness. How do we rectify um, the consequences of sin? Um, Because I think there's a difference we have to be careful with is the difference between discipline and judgment. And I think also, even if we'd like split hairs in judgment, like I think the difference between temporal judgment Mm -hmm. um, and finite judgment versus um, eternal and, infinite judgment um i think the one thing that really gets home when we talk about justification is that when we're justified all the eternal consequences of sin are gone right yeah you are now no longer a slave to sin you are under a new dominion you are you are part of the kingdom of christ you will not spend eternity burning in a lake of fire All these are the eternal consequences of (laughs) sin. Yes, they are very great. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm excited for that. But that does not mean that there are not consequences for your actions, right? Just because I'm justified doesn't mean that I tell a lie that there are no consequences for that or anything of that nature, right? Erickson says the temporal consequences of sin, both those that fall on the individual and those that fall on the human race collectively, are not necessarily removed. Thus... We still experience physical death and all the other elements of the curse of Genesis 3. And a lot of these are cause and effect, right? Um, And he gives an example here, and this one's a little bit extreme, but I guess it's fitting. He says, so if, for example, a person in a fit of rage, perhaps in a drunken state, kills his family, but later repents and is forgiven, God does not bring the family members back to life. The sin has led to a lifetime loss. So there, I mean, there's consequences for your actions still. There's not, I think in Proverbs, is it Proverbs where he says your sins will find you out? Yeah. Yep, it's Proverbs. <laughs> Good. I'm glad I know that. <laughs> um, but it's the same thing, right? Your sins will find you out. Like whatever is done in secret will be brought to light, whether whether immediately or sometime in your lifetime. Like there is nothing done in secret. I, if you look at all the pastors that have fallen, like yeah. clearly your sin will find you out whether sooner rather sooner or later, it doesn't matter. They will find you out. And unfortunately, because of the lack of accountability for some pastors that it it results in, unfortunately, some of these falls, but
0: no. And to your point, if you mind, um, so you mentioning about the, the idea of justification, but still with sin, um, like trying to understand that balance. And I think you brought up a very fair point about understanding different distinctions of, with inside of judgment, with inside of under like just sin in general, understanding justification, all the I think that's very important. Um but even you look in first John two, uh John described you know, not scribe not describes rather, but tells us, you know, Christ is our advocate. That is a legal term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so it implies that we're not gonna be perfect. We're not perfected yet. Excuse me. But we're in the process, right? We're to grow and grow in holiness as He is holy, and that's uh, that sanctification piece. Mm-hmm. But knowing that, if and when we do sin, that Christ has to ad- intercedes for us, is to advocate for us. Um, so that's another thing, yeah, you know, another yeah, thing to think about. I always put, I don't know, I don't know how theologically correct this is, but to an extent, I think it's a decent illustration. Uh, I can't remember who I, where I heard it, but when you, when you sin, uh, pictured. Jesus going to God the Father and advocating for you for that sin. Um, putting Christ in that kind of a position is interesting. Again, I'm not sure I agree with that fully um, theologically, but it, it brings about an interesting point um, when it comes to those, even those little sins where it's like, oh, oh yeah, it's not a big deal. It, it, is it? It costs the blood of Christ.
1: <laughs> it did. And I mean, if you look at somebody who's perfectly holy, like is we. we grow in holiness we've talked about this probably over and over when paul says i am the worst the chief of sinners like was paul talking about his former state or his current state And i think it's both but paul realizing how much his sin affects a holy god even though he sins arguably sins less those sins are magnified that much more and i think it's an interesting premise uh, the way you describe that kind of justification piece or that advocate the advocation the advocation um
0: Again, I'm not sure how I—I'm not sure if I agree with that fully, but it's an interesting illustration. It I is. Think, I, think it, I think it draws about proper conversation.
1: It is. But it's also important to remember that, is, especially in our current state, like, God sees us through the lens of the cross. Like, we are under—we're in the domain of, of his kingdom. We are slaves to righteousness. Like, he sees us through the cross. Absolutely. Um, and really, he sees us— through some people describe it as he sees us through the lens of his son, yeah. And because of that, it's not even our own righteousness that saves us, it's his righteousness that has saved us because clearly we are not. But we are made righteous, righteous. by him, right? Yeah, right. So. And it's, it's a twofold thing, right? It's we're made righteous legally, we're legally justified, declared not guilty, yeah. And we also become righteous through that process of sanctification. And so, at the end of all things, we are both. Right, We're still declared that's, not guilty through the lens of Christ, but we are also made to be like him and to be perfectly holy. No, I
0: think that's a very fair point.
1: Um, and to kind of close this out here for this, this intro to justification, um, and I believe I've heard sometimes before I read this verse that justification is one easy way to, that I remembered it was as a kid growing up was to, that God sees me just as if I had not sinned. Which is Christ, yep. right? And that's the important piece too. It's not just the. It's not just as if I had not sinned. It is that, but it's also because of Christ. Um, because even being born, uh, we've already been born into a fallen state. But Romans three twenty-one to twenty-eight is a little bit lengthy. Um, I think the whole thing is important. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I think that sums it up pretty nicely, right? Yeah. All these different things about, obviously, justification is not earned. Um, And Paul goes on really at length in Romans to talk about how we are not justified by works. There's many
0: chapters of Romans dedicated to that idea.
1: (laughs) and. And it's it's a good thing we weren't justified by works, b- because God is just. And I, I hear people like, "Oh, well, that's not fair. This is not fair." Like, if if God was fair, if and especially the way we call fair, yeah. um, we would all deserve yeah. eternal eternal damnation.
0: Yeah. Why? Who? Who is it? I know it was R.C. Sproul, but it's also I think Stephen Lawson. Also, you don't want fairness. You want mercy. You don't want justice. You want mercy. That's, that's kind of tying into what you're talking about. Like that's. Typically, fair is very subjective. Mm-hmm. I've learned with from years and years and years. I mean, now I have my own kid, but years of teaching kids. Well, um, When there's a problem, when they say it's not fair, what they mean is I didn't get what I wanted, which is not the same thing. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Usually when they say that, it's a little selfishly motivated
0: yeah, oh, yeah that's what I'm, yeah
1: i think i think the same thing is true when we we ask we tell god that whatever god did was not fair yeah no i that's
0: uh-huh. that's why i use that illustration i think that's like, absolutely correct that's us in that position which god that's not fair
1: yes well i mean I, I will this is my favorite probably my favorite statement it's a little sassy um, <laughs> of course it is but it's uh <laughs> it's from the bible so it's okay i love i'm sorry i have a i have a prof- affinity for uh Sarcasm. The Old Testament prophets were rather sarcastic.
0: Oh, I, I, I find love it. I find it hilarious. Um, yes, I but like I think it. it's I like in it. I think
1: it's in Jeremiah where he says, Who are you, old man, to talk to, back to God? Who is it? how is the the was it the pottery or the clay that has been formed talk back to the one who made it and say, Why did you make me like this? Like that's <laughs> you don't get that option. Sorry.
0: Well, Job is all the end of Job is covered with, with uh conversations just like that too.
1: <laughs> so but i think i think ultimately if we talk about the importance of what this means for our christian journey is obviously understanding our salvation understanding that we have been justified and been declared right but that means something going forward and i think reflecting on our justification what it means especially as we move through that journey of sanctification really has more and more of an impact i think i see and again i want to go back to that that communion that i that i read led recently uh, at our local church that really that was the discussion of like continuing to move, you know, progress in holiness, but also like that just continues to magnify what was what has been done for us, why we've been justified, how we've been justified. And that really just I think provides like a holistic picture of the Christian experience. So You're good. I know we talk a lot about five-letter words and five-letter, five-dollar words. They're not five letters. They're much more than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we we like big words around here. Um, <laughs> we do. <laughs> but I think the importance, and I think I'll talk about this in my my closing section a little bit, that the importance of, there's an importance to being having a theology. Uh, R.C. Sproul wrote a book about everyone is a theologian. And so really understanding what the Bible says and kind of being able to form what the Bible says into like, some sort of coherent working knowledge of of understanding God, whether That's it's safe, just theology yeah. proper or yeah. like some yeah. sort of systematic or biblical theology on your own, I think is kind of important to be able to communicate oh, that to others to to help edify the body and to help really understand what you believe. But again, understanding what you believe should also guide your life and guide your walk with Christ. Yeah. But again, all that stands and is informed by the, the scriptures. Amen. Any systematic you hold to, like I, I have my own systematic and it aligns with some people. But again, I constantly have to like die to self and and submit that to Christ and also realize that like, even though these authors are great and they've got some great ideas, like how do, how does what they say line up with what scripture actually says? And so there's some, there's some differences there that scripture has to, to lead the way, which is why. I'm a big proponent of both biblical and systematic theologies, but I think that like they have to be able to work together because everything absolutely um, works together. I was watching a uh, Q and A from the Master Seminary, and it had like, I think it was Stephen Lawson, John MacArthur, yeah, um, it was, was it recent? Yeah, it was yeah, recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Doctor Thomas Schreiner. Yeah, and, I know
0: they were there for. Uh, I was watching some of the lectures they posted. For I'm there,
1: a big, so. big fan. I mean, he's he's very reformed. Uh, but I'm a big fan of Dr. Thomas Schreiner. I'm actually yeah. sort of reading a book by him right now. I am as well. Uh, on probably a different book, hopefully. A, l-
0: a little bit different, but yeah, it's like um, the same vein. But, it's about the law, interpreting the law through uh, Paul's interpretation of the law.
1: Oh, we're reading the same book then. Yeah. Never mind, we're reading the same book. Just kidding. Um, but his but his statement was, and he's an academic theologian, and we can discuss that at length on what the difference between academic theology and the church. I think that's a good the topic, church. eventually, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's something I think is worth discussing. I completely um, agree. But his biggest statement was, "No matter what you preach, no matter what you teach, no matter what your theology is, it all has to be informed by the word of God. And if it's not, it's a waste." Um, and so, and that really stands to to boot that, like if it's not informed by an interpretation of the word, of, or by the word of God itself, um, and you are not consistently grounded in that and submissive to that, then it's all vanity, and it's you run the risk of error absolutely um but I would,
0: I would say not only run the risk but you're guaranteed error is what i would say probably um, yes if it's not <laughs> grounded in scripture but
1: <laughs> yeah no you're you man even a blind i think even a blind squirrel finds it not once in a while but maybe you just get lucky yeah well yeah but probably that,
0: yeah, not that, that, i would i have yet to see that but hey you could you, fair enough that's fair
1: <laughs> i mean god does work in mysterious ways i again i haven't i, haven't, I don't know that i've seen them either but you know yeah. i am no. i'm open to again as long as they align with scripture So, uh, but how would you say, and we've kind of already talked about this, but I think it's worth a a deeper discussion, Andrew, is how does justification relate to sanctification and glorification?
0: Absolutely. No, that's a very good point. And as we tie in, as we, you know, tie into this this segment here, um, I just, I really do appreciate how they broke that down, those definitions. I think that's important. Um, You'll notice another thing, too, about Nate and I, we like to define terms. Um, we spend a lot of time defining terms. We try. Yeah, it's, it's it, that's an important thing, and I would encourage you to get in the habit of doing that. Maybe not to the extent we're doing it. Obviously, I get that. But to have a working understanding of the distinctions that are going on is very important. Um, but yeah, I mean, how does, how does justification relate to sanctification and glorification? So as we kind of break this down, I'm going to briefly, I'm going sure to remind us, I'm going to give us very, very brief Definitions of sanctification and glorification. Um, these are so one of these here. So the definition I have here for sanctification is a quote from Dr. Erickson, um, and then glorification. I've kind of it's a it's heavily influenced by Dr. Erickson. But the reason I agree with Nate, um, I maybe don't agree with everything Dr. Erickson says, but he has a lot of good things to offer. And I think one of the good things is the definitions. Um, how he defines terms I think is really really solid Um, maybe not perfect but solid it gets you in the right direction for sure
1: and these I just a a quick point too these are his definitions are I would say pretty well informed by scripture and that's ultimately I I agree when we talk about defining terms like Andrew says we define terms but we try to define terms on our own Based on what Scripture says, absolutely, and I think um, Dr. Erickson would would say the same of his. Again, we may there might be some nuances there, but ultimately, like if our definition should be of anything, really, should be informed by Scripture.
0: Absolutely. See, again, I sometimes come with that assumption. I like that Nate clarifies it because I do come with that implied assumption, right? I come with that, or another word, another five dollar word. I come with that presupposition that um, that you guys kind of know that and that's wrong of me again presupposition is i assume you know so <laughs> um but again sanctification defined i by dr erickson is the continuing work of god via the holy spirit and the life of believers continually making them holy um it's a and further it's a process by which one's moral condition is brought into conformity with one's legal status before god and we'll talk on that legal status in a second cause that, that's justification but we'll talk about that um, that, so that's what that is. It's the process by which one's moral condition is brought into conformity with one's legal status. So you're called righteous, and now you're being made righteous. Um, kind of the piggyback off what Nate was saying. Now, glorification, again, this is more of a heavy paraphrase of Dr. Erickson's from one of his books. Um, glorification yeah, is, takes place at the believer's death, the perfecting of the body of all believers. Transforming us into being like Him, and it's mul- I like how He put this. It's multidimensional, as it also applies to creation. At the end of time, at the end of time, the com- at the end of age, glor- uh, creation will also be glorified. Granted, that not, not, that means a little bit something different. We could have a whole show on that. What it means for creation is what it means for man. What it means for believers, but um. so a simple understanding of these topics, sanctification is the starting point. Then it kind of progresses the sanctification. Then it ends in glorification. Now I would like to piggyback again or reemphasize rather what Nate says. I think it's phenomenal. Um, or at least a phenomenal point to emphasize because it's absolutely backed up by scripture. This idea of not losing sight of where we were before God saved us right before where we were before faith. Um, Paul, Paul mentions it of himself. He also encourages many of the Gentile believers in many of the books that God used him to write scripture. Um, to, to don't forget like you two were like this, right, you too were like the Gentiles of old, uh conforming to their lusts in the flesh, right and, and essentially reminding them, right, and Paul would remind how he was beforehand it's important that we don't lose sight of what Christ did on the cross for us. that is something that we that it's almost yeah like like just as God views us essentially as being believers through the eyes of Christ or the eyes of the cross or through the prism of the cross we should be seeing God that way through the prism of the cross for what he all that he had to do for us not because he had to right he wanted to and not because of anything we did Um, I think that's very important so just because these are steps just because I outlined them as steps I don't want us to get distracted into thinking that it's like oh I'm justified okay now I'm sanctified okay now I'm glory it doesn't work like that (laughs) Um, anything to add there,
1: Nate? It's. I think it's easier to understand that way as as a beginner. Uh, when I first understood these things, I would say that that was the easiest way. That to, was maybe the crawl way. <laughs> yeah. But as you live it and as you study it, it's. It yeah, it becomes this more holistic thing. And I, I don't want to. I think I'm kind of harping on this, but I, I want to go back to that that importance of the of communion of the Lord's Supper. maybe that's, maybe not, but maybe I that's, think that's a good vision. In yeah. part, why we continually celebrate that, absolutely, and why we're commanded to continually celebrate that is because we celebrate His death because of what He's done. Paul sure. says, yeah. "Whether you, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you you know remember, you re- remember the Lord's death until He comes. Remember the Lord's death until He comes." And so that remembrance of not just your salvation and your justification, but the price that was paid for that salvation and that justification shouldn't go away. And and that's why I think that's that call to to participate in, in the Lord's table regularly, because especially now, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to realize this, I think, but that importance of that celebration because of what it means to your Christian walk, like, it doesn't go away. Yeah. <laughs> you're say It's not just, oh, I'm saved. I can forget that I was, you know, how or why I was saved and just keep moving you're forward. A like, now. You're a new creature now. You are a new creature. That's a big but deal. <laughs> it is a big deal. No, it's,
0: well, no, like that part, like what I'm saying is that I shouldn't, that's not me just, oh, yeah, you know.
1: <laughs> right? I just don't want to, oh, he died for me. Great. I can just go do yada, yada, whatever. Oh, I'll become more holy, whatever, yada, yada. But in reality, it doesn't seem to work like that. No. It doesn't seem to, you become more holy, but the, the moment of your salvation, whenever that was, even if you don't remember it, you know, the price that was paid for it and the progression that you've made since then are all kind of brought to bear as your life continues.
0: No, I think that's a phenomenal point. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and, and to your point, I think you made a good distinction there. Uh, as a new believer, I'm not insulting you because that, that is fair. That's how I understood it too when I was new to the faith. That's it's. It, I call that the you know crawl, walk, run, um, and that's part of sanctification. Believe it or not, like you start to understand as you learn, as you grow in relationship with God and, and grow to know Him better and better and deeper. You you get more of a holistic view and a more deep and enriched view, right? It's it's a, it's a blessing.
1: Was it John or Paul or one of them? I, I don't remember. You can correct me. Um, who basically says when you were a child, um, you were given milk, but now that you're grown, you're given food that's of Paul. a man. That's yeah. yeah, Paul. And yeah. like, I think that's spiritually what kind of happens, right? You have these basic understandings that kind of grow through life experiences, oh, through absolutely. continued study of the word. Um, or there's another verse too where he says, when I was a child, I thought like, like a, a child, child and acted Recently. like a child, but then when I was a man, I put foolish things behind me.
0: Yeah, charles' is behind me. That's, that, that's Paul. Oh, you're, no, you're right. No, it's, uh, that's Paul. Yep.
1: Yep. See, I knew it was one of them. Yeah, no, you weren't. You weren't. <laughs> it's pretty easy when you take three of the biggest New Testament authors. And, I mean, you it's, kind of narrow it down there.
0: Statistics are on your side. No.
1: <laughs> yes, I would say so. No,
0: that was, no, you're right, though. I mean, and to your point about, I think it's fitting that you keep coming back to the Lord's Supper because we're going to be talking in a little bit in Philippians 3 here about the Lord's death. Um, I think Paul does a great job of, enca- you know, obviously led by the Spirit, of course, encapsulating what you were just talking about. But first, we're going to look at Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. The Bible says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That's sanctification. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also uh, glorified, rather. He also I'm sorry. And these whom he predestined, he also called. There we go. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So Nate and I could have a long conversation about this verse. <laughs> I saw him laughing, but we're not gonna we're not gonna go in there. But
1: he said this verse was about sanctification. I said, "Don't you mean divine election?" Yeah. But let's <laughs> let's not go there today. That's not worth that discussion.
0: No, no. But we just see here, like in, in all of Romans eight, not just that, but this verse. Obviously, these verses specifically. Um, but when you talk about being conformed to the image of His Son, generally speaking, that imagery is referring to sanctification, right? It's the process of being conformed to Christ's image. Absolutely. Um, and that we can agree on. Yeah. Well, yeah. well <laughs> <laughs> So, and then we see though, God finishing a work. I think that's one of the things that like a lot. I mean, I love scripture, but what you see here in, in this, in this small passage, like, and I try my best to, I want it to be concise, but give context. Like in Philippians three, we're going to be in five verses. It is what it is. Like I could actually probably should read all Philippians three. I probably should read all of Romans eight, but we, I don't want to have as much as I would love to have three hour episodes. I'm not sure you guys would appreciate it too much. Uh, we want to be, we want to find that balance between respecting your time and, and hopefully, you know, to the glory of God, putting out something for edification. Um, so, but we see this, right? So we see this process: those whom He predestined, He also called; those whom He called, He also justified; those whom He justified, He also glorified. Um, and this idea that you get, you get declared righteous, you you have an inheritance, and then you have a destination, or you have an ultimate. Um, how don't want to put this here. Um, give me a second while I ponder. Um, the completion of our sentence, right? Let's put it that way, or the the uh, realization of our inheritance. Um, and then further, we see in Titus 3, verses 5 through 7, the Bible says, and then now, a little context on Titus. This is another one of the um, pastoral leadership or pastoral epistles. Um, excuse me. Now, this is Paul encouraging Titus about certain things to teach. And these, this, these three verses here are what he's telling him, them to teach. Uh, he's like, he's be, take courage and be confident in these things. And these things are, uh, quoting again, here we go in uh, Titus 3, beginning in verse 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in, ri- in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, and then if you read further here, I'm gonna, I'll pull up the full chapter just so you can see the, more of the context. Um, we see it being in verse six here, whom he poured out richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we were made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. Right, so again, this is more of a edification, an edification and encouragement, rather, of Titus, to, to teach this thing with confidence, be confident in this. However, we see within this, um, that, of course, again, we talked briefly about it, the idea of mercy, fairness, justice. Generally speaking, as humans, we please you know, discipline yourself to be grateful to the mercy of God. For the mercy of God, rather, um, and I, and I think it was R.C. Sproul, and I don't mean to keep name dropping, but he said this quote. I want to attribute it to him. Uh, when I feel as though I've been unfairly hated, I try to remember I'm unfairly loved or unjustly loved, rather. And he, so let me re-say that. He said that he used the he used the term unjust. When I feel as though I've been unjustly hated, right? People unfairly hated, right? Um, I try to remember that I'm unjustly loved. It's by the, that mercy and grace of God. I think that's a very good point. Um, but yeah, we see here in Titus three, that's this idea that we are being, we are made righteous according to his mercy through faith and that we have that hope of eternal life. Um,
1: I like Paul's words there too. He says this is trustworthy, Yeah, right? That this is something he wants Titus and I am sure he wants Timothy and all the people with him to preach this like with confidence because this is the essentialness of the gospel. He says something similar in Philippians 1 where he says I am and I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you yep. will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. These I am sure like he has pure certainty that again Christ is the one who began the work in you yeah. that he will finish it. Absolutely. And so it kind of speaks again to the author that he is the author and finisher of our faith. He's That's where he faith did. comes yep. yeah. from. He's where salvation came from. He's where justification came from. It's through his spirit that we are on this kind of journey of progressive sanctification, and it is through Him that we will be glorified. But and Paul is sure of all this,
0: and then we and we should also be sure of that. That's what, that's what he's encouraged. I like how you. I, I appreciate that. I'm putting emphasis. That's what he he wants us to be sure of that too. And I, you know, I know Nate implies this as well. Just to clarify, right? Um, that's true of pastors today also. Just because pastors today's names are not in these letters does not mean that they aren't to do the same things. <laughs> um. No, and to further what you know, even what Nate was just saying there, we see in Philippians three. Now, Philippians three is Paul talking, encouraging the church at Philippi about the, the goal of life, um, and it's very. It, there's a lot there. We're going to pick up in verse five. Um, actually, no, verse seven, because that wouldn't make sense to pick up in verse five. We're going to pick up in verse seven. So. The previous verses before this verse, I'm going to give a little context. Paul spends a lot of time talking about himself. Not a lot, but some time talking about himself and his credentials according to the law. Um, So, you know what? I'm going to read it. Bear with me, guys. I think it's important. (laughs) So, picking up here in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, even if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever the things were gained to me, those I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I might gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, actually, one more verse. Now that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so I may lay hold of that for which I also have laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as being laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So That was uh, Philippians 3, verses 1 through 13. Um, I know that's a lot, but there's a lot of context in there. It's important. Um, and kind of what Tanae was talking about, like not losing sight of our salvation, right? I, what I, the part that really hits, this is what Paul, again, the, one of the, the, the chief missionary that God used in the early church, that Christ commissioned in the early church for this. <clears throat> and here's what he says. Like, he counts all things a loss, all things the world. And, and being of the nation of Israel, the, the Mosaic law was something that they held a lot of, they placed a lot of value in it, um, as if that made them righteous, which is kind of why I spend so much time talking about the law. The law is referring to the Mosaic law. Um, and we see here that he counts all of that as rubbish. That I may know him. Here's what he wants say. I count all of that off. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That sounds nice. The power of his resurrection. And here comes the part that kind of not. The fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, As you mature, that's a beautiful thing. But if if you're reading that for the first time, that's, wow, you want to be conformed to, you want to take fellowship or be a part of his sufferings with him? You want to be conformed to his death? That sounds kind (laughs) of rough. But what Paul is talking about here is that true sanctification, that being justified, right? And then being conformed to his death is dying to the flesh, dying to self so that you may attain to the resurrection from the dead and, and glorify Christ. I just think that's a really beautiful picture. I do I mean to hammer that home so much, but I just think it's a really beautiful picture. <laughs> I love it. Um, now, just before I kick it over to Nate here, and we start talking more about... Um, did you say you're going to tie in a little theology, brother? Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, that's how we're going to close this out today.
0: Excellent. I like that. I have a couple of thoughts maybe if there's time mm-hmm. that I'd like to share as well. But before I do that... I now that we've unpacked this and we looked at it, again this is only a couple verses. I want to, I always want to hammer this. Scripture talks about this in many places. Uh, Nate mentioned the biblical theology. It's that's I agree it's very important. Um it's important to understand these topics come up in the Old Testament as well. Um and just understand that I picked three examples. So now that we looked at this and kind of unpacked it more and you know looked at the definition, now we're looking at how justification ties into sanctification and glorification. How do we reconcile? How should the believer reconcile a proper understanding of this? Um, again, with justification, it I want it's an important reminder that it carries a with it a re, rather heavy legal overtone. Like as in the law, right? Courtroom, thing, courtroom. It, it, it carries a very heavy legal overtone. Um especially here, right? in the Supreme Court of the universe, one might say, right? We're talking about God, Um, God acting as the righteous judge. So justification is the decision, kind of as Nate said, you are righteous in right standing with God. That's a simple, there's more to righteousness, but a simple understanding of righteousness is you are looked at in right standing with him. Now, this is due to the precious blood of Christ that pays the price you were charged with paying. Now, you are now sentenced to be glorified. Now, sanctification, in terms of progressive sanctification or the process of being sanctified, I would see it as more of an award. It's an inheritance given to the believer, right? The Spirit is going to continue to conform you to the image of Christ. Now, we talked about duty with sanctification. That's where your duty comes into, to whatever extent you're able to, to be an active participant in that, to seek to be sensitive, to seek God. And to seek to, to, as scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? to work these things out as much as you can. Um, and lastly, glorification, which is our true sentence, to be like Him, which is the completion of sanctification, home with Him in heaven. And it's important to be able to understand and have a working understanding of how each of these interact with each other. Um, and as we kind of briefly mentioned you know as you, the crawl walk run kind of mentality it's okay if you if you're new to the faith and you you're what we call like maybe a baby christian some you know some places call them that or uh you're spiritually immature but you're maturing it's okay to 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 walk crawl walk run okay don't base yourself off of a mature believer in fact ask to maybe ask to be mentored um that would be a really cool opportunity but i say all that to say it's okay if as of right now if you're sitting there listening to the sound of my voice going oh man, I, I look at this as if it's phase one, phase two, phase three. Um, that's an okay starting point. Just know that there, with, with many things in scripture, there is overlap. And there is certain areas, like how Nate even put it, we should not lose sight or lose focus or lose remembrance or memory of um, our point of justification, our point of, our point of salvation. We should always remember that, what Christ did for us. And that's something that should be fresh in our mind. Now, with that, let's kick it over to Nate, and we're going to be talking about why we included that in the series, and we're going to be talking oh, my favorite, a little bit of theology, which, again, is very important.
1: It's, it's not even just theology. I think it's the purpose of including theology and having theological discussions. I think it's important as we kind of wrap up this part of the series and talk about the big $5 words. Um that why Why do we include a focus on sanctification and glorification and justification? And why do we use such big terms to talk about them when we could probably call them other things? <clears throat> and I think the importance, firstly, is um, one, Scripture uses these terms. Um, and the other... The other part is, too, is when we talk about having a common language, a common theology, that, yes, we can speak in plain terms and not have to use theological jargon, um, but I think it's important to to educate Christians when it comes to reading books that may be a little bit more academic or might be a little bit more scholarly. Um, and I think that's important to to continue on that that journey of studying and not that every Christian has to, that's I'm not requiring anything of anybody. I think that's between you and God and what your walk looks like. Because everybody's walk looks different. And if we want to go back to sanctification, like it might be five steps forward, ten steps back, and then another three steps forward, right? And it's not this like straight upward trajectory. Um, I think it's John John Jonathan Flavelle, um, it was one of the Puritans I think who says that we perceive things to have grown rather than to watch them grow. Um, you don't realize you're growing until you kind of look back and realize where you've come from, and so there's there's an upward trajectory, I would say, um, but there's not. It's not a straight line. I, I very much, very much, in my life has spoken. It's very much not a straight line. I wish it were a straight line. I wish it were that easy. It's never that easy. Um, but with God, all things are possible. Amen. But I think for me in my own life, and I'm reading a couple books right now for school. Um, talking about (laughs) nerd yes for those of you who don't know i am currently now pursuing a phd in bible exposition um and i'm pretty excited about that but the first the first books that i'm reading in this is course are um about the need for pastors as theologians or pastor theologians or pastors as public theologians and how that's kind of a lost thing in, in the evangelical churches of america um, even in the Reformed churches a little bit, I think some of some of the Reformed churches have done a really good job when you look at um, pastors such as like R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur and like Steve Lawson and, and the like who've like published theological works that are still based in kind of their experience in the pastorate as opposed to you look at like academic scholars uh, who have no idea what pastors go through what pastors experience what local church life is even like and they just write things based on scripture which is again those things can be helpful absolutely but so can so can the pastoral perspective and so they these two books really have this big call for like the need for pastors to be theologians not all pastors just but for like a rise in in pastors to be theologians and not just and not just in the sense of hey let's take all the academic works that are being done digest them and kind of translate them, AKA dumb them down. Um, Cause that's kind of how it feels sometimes um, to be, I think one of the books calls the, being a pastoral broker, right? You're going to take one thing and you're going to transform it into modern and contemporary and, and language that the, your people understand. And, and you're just going to regurgitate it. You're not coming up with any new thoughts of your own. Really? You're not, you know, studying a lot on your own, except for maybe some sermon prep or whatever, and really, the goal would be for pastor theologians to, to really study and to really push the envelope as far as like theology is concerned related to the church. Because you don't find, when you look at like academic theology, you don't find a lot of texts and journal articles in academic theology that are related to like premarital sex or marriage or divorce or like issues that pastors deal with in the church. So, if a pastor writes something on a the theology based on those things, Right and and what Scripture says on those things, um, that's valuable not just for their church but I think for for the church universal. Absolutely. But that's why we talk about these things. Uh, One is so you can better understand. um, Is we use academic jargon a little bit, and I think we try to explain ourselves as best as possible to, to to help stretch. Uh, your vocabularies, as well as our own. Yeah. Um. The the book I'm reading uses in so far so many times I can't I can't deal with it. In so far, it's not one of my favorite words, but, um, but also to just inform. I think traditionally the church uses these big words, and if you go to other churches and you hear other pastors preach, they're going to use these words and they're not going to explain them. And so, to give you a kind of base to understand these things is important, yeah. but also to define terms and define what they mean for the Christian experience and how you can apply them to the church and how that you can apply them to your life is really kind of the goal here. It's not just to define. Obviously we spent some time defining all these things because definitions are important, but we also are, we are spending our time and have spent our time these last few episodes to define our terms in ways that are applicable and, and discuss the applications because it's not just, it's one thing to know what justification means or what sanctification means. It's great, you know, Whoop-de-do, but knowledge puffs up, and yeah. wisdom builds up, and so do, we don't just want to puff you up with knowledge; we want to want to build you up with wisdom. We want to be able to give you some applications and give you some things to think about, and and allow you to to study some more on your own. Um, because I think that's that's the the really the goal. We talk about the the makeup of the body of Christ; is, is one body, many members is that everything fits together. So, yes, some are called to be pastor theologians. Some are called to be lay theologians. Some people are called to be servants. Some people, whatever giftings God has given you, that's where you should serve the church. But that's, I mean, you should also have your own personal walk that, that has some sort of study, some sort of Bible reading, um, some sort of um, collective, too, where you're studying together, you know, writing together, whatever that looks like.
0: Absolutely,
1: I think Second Timothy uh, Paul's talking to Timothy again about pastors but it, again I think that applies to the entire church
0: I think we you have know. a faithful application
1: yeah. especially I mean a lot of what Timothy and, or what Paul writes to Timothy and, and Titus a lot of that can be applied not just to pastors but I think to Christians in general I think because we all have a ministry it's just where is that ministry and what is that ministry and how is it kind of lived out but Paul. Paul tells Timothy in in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14, he says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymeneus and Philetus, who are swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone whose name let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. I think it's just mic drop right there. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, our mics are on stands, stand, so I we just, can't really like, mic drop it. But
0: I, I also wanted, when he started naming names, wanted to be like Boom Roasted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, Paul, Paul's not one to pull punches. but no, he's not. But at the same time, it, it's right. It's do your best to present yourself. So that's, that's our goal in our hearts, and then why we're doing this podcast in the first place, is, is to do our best, Andrew and I, to present ourselves as, as workmen who do not need to be ashamed. But we also feel that we are gifted and called to his people whether to shepherd them or to teach them or to guide them in whatever ways he sees fit, um, to, to help edify and build and grow his church. And and through that, to, to help all of you become workmen, work people who do not need to be ashamed, um, and and to be able to rightly handle the word of truth on your own.
0: Yeah, It's absolutely true. Absolutely.
1: Because I think, and then maybe this is partially the way I teach, but, I think if I give you all the answers, then you're never going to go look up, look them up for yourselves. And I was kind of raised that way, that where the sermons were like, my pastor used to say growing up, like, oh, you can, you can double-check me if you want. But, like, how many people I think in that congregation double-checked him? Probably not many. They just kind of took what he said, hook, line, sinker, because he used scripture verses. Huh? And I, I would say, how many of us do that now? Well, my pastor preaches from scripture, so he must be right. I don't double-check anything. Do we, do we double-check our pastors? Do we double-check our teachers? It's a great question, isn't it? We should be. Absolutely. Because ultimately, they could be leading us astray. So, like, you should, and here's the thing. You should probably be double-checking us. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm trying to lead you into error, but I'm human just like the rest of you.
0: I, I mean, even God using the Apostle Paul, he's he like, don't you take my word for it. They reasoned with the scriptures. It's one of the most encouraging um, verses as far as this goes when it comes to the theology and it comes to the study of it. Like, reason with the scriptures. Um, and it's don't be afraid to engage. Because the one thing I appreciate, um, how do I word this, uh, in general is theologians whose dedication is to precision. Um, now, we should be precise in as much as we can be. Uh, because there's some things we can't be precise about, and that's okay, but if we can we want to know God, he's revealed himself, we want to know God, and we want that means we want to get to know him. It takes time, it takes study you know, to show ourselves to be workmen um, and I think that, again I, I agree with Nate. i think that's can be absolutely faithfully applied um, and that's and I think one thing kind of tying into what you were said Nate I think one thing that's a problem while is that we have not, as a, as a collective, um, have not used technology in a wise and prudent fashion that it utilizes it as the tool that it is. What I mean by that is instead of going and seeking out the answers and reasoning by the scriptures or reasoning and seeking to understand, we go, oh, yeah, that person would lied to me, or you just could do a quick Google search. Well, I, I got to tell you something. Um, that's not enough. I'm just going to be honest with you. A quick Google search is not enough. Um, that's to, to your point. It is a convicting question. Like how many of us do? And it's not, that's not to say your, your heart just to clarify. Your heart in that is not to prove your pastor wrong. <laughs> it is to clarify. Um, and there's ways to go about it. If there is error, perhaps, uh, ways to go about discussing it with them. I don't know. Let's just...
1: I will say a, um, a previous experience I had with, with the pastors, I would sit in sermons and I would listen. And then I would just, like, he would say things, and I'd be like, that doesn't seem right. Like, I would just write a bunch of, my notebook would be full of just questions that I needed to go find the answers for myself and find out, like, he said something. Is that right? Because it doesn't seem right. Yeah. But even if it does seem right, like, let's confirm that that's actually, right.
0: Actually, it's something that I did, too. Um, just in general, I've, I've had situations where I did that, too, where I have my journal that I would use for sermon notes or just notes in general for, you know, and they have, like, I don't know, 10, 15 questions. And similarly, like, maybe I didn't get to all of them, um, but I did my best to mm-hmm. at least assess them.
1: Yeah. That's driven me to a lot of Greek and Hebrew word studies of, like, hey, Amen. you said this, but, like, what does the Greek really say? Like, do you know, you used, you defined the English word, but, like, do we, do we define the Greek word? Do we really understand what any of this means? Because we can define the English word that it's been translated to, but. And that could also be wrong. They could be wrong. Or not acu- as accurate. Not as, as wholly should, yeah, accurate. As it should be. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's a tough thing, I think, with, with, translations. with translations. But um, I think most of the translations as a whole are pretty good. Um, but kind of going back to the whole purpose, and, and really I think John